0: Hello, everyone. I'm Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Myers Detox Podcast, where we explore all types of topics related to heavy metals and chemicals, environmental toxins, and their role in the underlying root cause of disease and your health issues and symptoms that you're trying to get rid of. So, today we have Dr. Felice Gersh on the show. And she's going to be talking about PCOS and infertility and the impact of environmental toxins uh, on those conditions and effective solutions. And uh, Dr. Garcia, she's so brilliant. I mean, this is such a, just a fact-filled, uh, amazing lesson about how toxins impact our stress hormones, our sex home hormones, very, very detailed analysis of the whole kind of cycle of hormone production and where toxins interfere in that in every step of the way. So on this show, we talk about the number one cause of infertility and why it's on the rise and why sperm counts used to be 60 million, but now they're routinely 20 million. So it's not just women, It's also men that are having issues with fertility as well. We talk about causes of infertility, like toxins, poor sleep, stress, and and more toxins like endocrine disrupting chemicals. We talk about PCOS, uh, what that is exactly, what's going on, how are the hormones misfiring, what's this like, what's wreaking havoc on our hormonal system when one has PCOS. We uh, Dr. Gersh outlines that in detail. It's really fascinating, and we talk about how to reverse PCOS. What she does. Does with her patients, and we also talk about the exact mechanism behind low estrogen causing insulin resistance, cravings, and weight gain, which is what we see when women are kind of venturing into perimenopause and into menopause, why are why they're gaining weight and that whole mechanism behind that and what you can do to reverse that. So really interesting show today. So hold on. Well, hold on to your hats. You're getting a real, real deep lesson today. So if you guys are listening to the show, I know that you are interested in your heavy metal load on your body, the toxic load that your body is carrying and what to do about that. So I created a quiz called heavymetalsquiz.com. Go there, take it. After you're done with the quiz, you get the results that show you your relative levels of toxins based on a lot of different lifestyle factors that you answer in the quiz. And then after that, you get a free video series that tells you where to start, where do you start on your detox journey, how do you detox, the number one mistakes people make, and how to do testing, heavy metals testing, just lots of really great information so that you can start on your detox journey correctly, removing these toxins and enjoying the benefits of that by reversing health issues and uh, uncomfortable symptoms like reproductive issues, weight gain, et cetera, the things we talk about on this podcast today. So go to heavymetalsquiz.com and take it. Our guest today, Dr. Felice Gersh, is an award-winning OBGYN specializing in all aspects of women's health and the founder and director of the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine in Irvine, California, very close to me. Her practice provides comprehensive health care for women, combining the best evidence-based therapies from conventional, naturopathic, and holistic medicine. She has been recognized as a physician of excellence in Orange County for the past 15 years. Years, She taught obstetrics and gynecology at Keck USC School of Medicine, that's where I am my alma mater, and for many years as an assistant clinical professor and receiving the Outstanding Volunteer Clinical Faculty Award. Dr. Gersh is also a prolific writer and world-renowned lecturer. She travels all over the world and has been featured in several films and documentary series, including The Real Skinny on Fat with Montel Williams and Fasting. And she's the mother of four children and lives with her husband, Bob, in Orange County, California. Dr. Gersh is the author of PCOS SOS, a Gynecologist's lifeline to naturally restore your rhythms, hormones, and happiness. And she's also been featured in the Huffington Post, Women's Health, Glamour, Well and Good, The Washington Post, BuzzFeed, Health, Good Housekeeping, and more. You can learn more about Dr. Gersh at integrativemgi.com.
1: Feliz, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to join you here today. Such an important topic.
0: Yes, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while because infertility is a huge problem plaguing so many women today. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself and how you came to specialize in fertility and um, you know, health issues that
1: underlie infertility? Well, like so many people in medicine, we're so impacted by either a family member or sometimes ourselves. In my case, it was myself. So I knew something was wrong with me, but I wasn't getting any help. I went for two years without having a menstrual period, not a single one. And I went to the very high up respected faculty member in ob department at my medical school where I was studying. And I said, doctor so-and-so, something is really wrong. I I have not had a period in two years and his response was women hate periods. Well, what do you care? I mean, you're not trying to get pregnant (laughs) now just go on the birth control pills. It doesn't matter. Like I said, but, but I would love to have children and pretty soon. And he said, well, we'll deal with it. Then you can go on fertility drugs. And that just seemed to be a very poor answer to my problem. (laughs) It's like, what is this all about? And then he was right though when I wanted to get pregnant, I did have to go on fertility drugs and it took me quite a few months and it really made me do a deep dive into what is wrong with me and that led into my really um, just intense emotional passion for understanding fertility and what can be done to improve it. And I really came away, and this is after decades, Um, because I was never taught this. And now in hindsight, it seems so blatantly obvious. It seems like the biggest duh on the planet. And that is that fertility and of course the menstrual cycle in a reproductive age woman is a true vital sign of her health because whether we like it or not, and we have to remember that humans are the only species on this planet, the only ones that try to control their reproductive destiny. I mean, if you put rabbits together, you get little baby rabbits. And, you know, that's the way nature intended it, whether we like it or not. So fertility is the prime directive of life. So everything in the female body is designed for reproductive success. So having metabolic health is really key to having reproductive health. And this has really been lost. In the, It's just so sad that OBGYNs are not taught today that reproduction is not just an added on thing that you could take or leave. Kind of the, the analogy I give is that you go to buy a sports car because you're having a midlife crisis or whatever you go. And then at the end, you make the deal and they say, but I forgot to tell you, There's a sporty package, and look at these sporty hubcaps. So you can get them. They're $3,000, and if you want, your hubcaps will look fantastic. But they don't affect the drive, the longevity of the car, the function of the car, but they look great. And that's how we treat reproduction. It's like, take it or leave it. But no, reproduction is like the engine. It's not like the hubcaps. It's like you're not trading in something that you could take or leave. This is like foundational to the function of a reproductive age female. Everything about reproduction links to everything about overall health. So I realized that, and it took me a long time to make that connection because we never taught it. And then it became apparent that reproductive problems are really a, a sign. A big red flag when you have reproductive problems, you have health problems. And so you really have to really hone in on what's going on in that woman that's affecting her fertility because it's affecting her overall health. It's all intertwined. And so that's where I specialize in all fertility, but with a little extra focus on polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, because that is like the perfect poster child for how fertility and overall health, metabolic health, link in one woman. So that's why I'm so excited here to share all of this with with your listeners and viewers, because it is so important. That's why I say, even if you're not trying to get pregnant, obviously, if you are, it's even that much more important. But even if you're not trying to get pregnant, you want to be fertile. (laughs) Fertility is is life itself.
0: Yeah. And it takes... Yeah. Yeah, it takes time to fix these issues. Also, it takes time to remove the roadblocks to Mm -hmm. healthy levels of sex hormones and stress hormones and thyroid hormones, which all work together. And so um, it's not like, an, hey, now I want to get pregnant uh, 37. Now it's time to start thinking about this. You know, you I know. You
1: and that's what breaks my heart Are trying to conceive. And then they're unsuccessful. And they run to the fertility center where they usually jump pretty quickly into assisted reproductive technology, IVF. And they don't try to even evaluate, like, what is wrong? Like, this woman is nutrient deficient. She has metabolic dysfunctions. She has insulin resistance, you know, that's even subtle. I mean, not full-blown diabetes. And they just go right into doing IVF because the women want to get pregnant right away. So they're pushing for it as well. And I say, unless you're, like, in your 40s, even then you may want to back up for a couple of months but you want to be healthy even if you want to do or think you have to do IVF. First of all, many times you don't, you don't need to have IVF. You actually will spontaneously get pregnant as you get healthier. And number two, even if you do end up with IVF, you're more likely to be successful and lower your complication risk during pregnancy and also lower your risk of having a problem with your baby because we know that baby's genetic expression what we call epigenetic modification is impacted on maternal health which it's everything is linked to everything so the health of the mother affects the developing health of her baby so you want a healthy mom to get pregnant. You don't, a woman should be healthy preferably long before she gets pregnant, and that will dramatically improve the possibilities of her child having a healthy life. So we have to go back and just rethink so many things that we're doing in our medical society you know, in terms of how we're trying to help women and back up sometimes and say, please work on getting healthy before you do any reproductive technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and let's let's go to like the root cause of the problem. So, uh, or let's talk about some statistics. Actually, um, what are some statistics for uh, women and men experiencing infertility? Because it's on the rise.
1: It sure is. So, out of a, you know, if you take hundred couples, at the end of six months, about eighty percent. These days, I I think these numbers are really old, you know, because they never, nothing has ever kept up. But they say uh, after about six months, 80% may get pregnant. Now, not all of them are going to succeed. That's including miscarriages, okay? So that's a big problem. Um, At the end of a year, it it can be down another 5%. And after two years, at least this is the statistics that they publish, about 90% of couples will get pregnant. That doesn't mean they end up with a baby, you know, so you have to realize, but 90% of couples will have a pregnancy by the end of two years. And, you know, the reality is who's keeping exact data on this? When I was doing, I'm not doing obstetrics now, but I delivered thousands of babies. When I had a patient who had a miscarriage, sometimes they had a miscarriage and they didn't even come into my office. They may have been on vacation and they miscarried. It didn't go into any um, record keeping. Nobody reported it anywhere. Um, the other thing is when, my had, when I had patients who didn't get pregnant, I wasn't like sending it to some national registry. So, I mean, w- this data is, is always going to be with a lot of inexactness. Inact- in and so I personally think that the numbers are higher then though, that I just quoted.
0: Yes. Yeah. And so why is female and male infertility increasing
1: worldwide? What's going on? And it's, it is shocking. If you look at male sperm counts way back when I was in medical school training and we were taught like 60 million, that's the number. Uh, A man, man should have at least 60 million. And then a few well, maybe a decade or so later, it dropped down to 40 million. Now they're down to 20 million. So what's become the new norm is the new abnormal. So sperm counts are plummeting. Now, in terms of male and sperm counts, a lot of that is environmental toxicities. A lot of research has been done on phthalates, which are plasticizers. They're what make plastic flexible and soft. They're also in scents. So ages ago, when people wanted to smell something very pleasant, they used plants, right? So they used essential oils from plants. They learned how to distill plants, and they could use the waters from the plants and the oils from the plants. So they were all natural, organic, of course, because they didn't have pesticides or herbicides. So it was all natural plant-based scents. Then back just a few decades ago with the history of mankind it's not even a blink it's like a tiny speck of a blink of you know that we have developed these artificial chemical scents these things that smell like something else and it's like crazy you know so you have a chemical that kind of smells like lavender and they call it lavender but it's not lavender. It's not from the beautiful flower lavender. It's from some chemical factory. It has nothing to do with lavender. And they do this for all kinds of scents. And then they put them in perfumes and colognes and hair you know, conditioners and shampoos and all of this stuff. They're all phthalates. And it really impacts on male. In terms of females, There's a lot of problems as well with endocrine disruptors. In terms of polycystic ovary syndrome, the most research has been with BPA, bisphenol A, which is ubiquitous, meaning it's everywhere. Everybody has it in them. We used to think it was eliminated rapidly. Now we're not so sure. It may actually stay in the body a lot longer than what we used to think and it interferes with so every aspect because it's an endocrine disruptor, which is phthalate, as it means that it can interfere at any step of a hormone. So it can interfere with the production, the distribution, the receptor function, the um, elimination, the degradation. So anything that has to do with a hormone, an endocrine disruptor, can interfere with. Well, All our reproductive functions, in fact, all our metabolic functions, because they're linked, rely on hormones and not just having hormones, but having hormones at the right time in the right place because we are beautifully rhythmic creatures, which is another reason why we're having fertility problems. It turns out that the ovaries have receptors for melatonin, and melatonin is only produced at night when we're sleeping and that is very circadian, very built into the 24-hour day, the 24-hour rotation of Earth, and our genes have really evolved to be in accordance with our beautiful relationship of Earth and the moon and the sun, and so we have 33% of all our genes in our body are clock genes, and about 90% are clock gene-related in some way, which means we're all timed, we're time creatures, And if we don't sleep at the right time, if we don't get enough sleep, if we have high levels of stress, because stress will up our cortisol production, and that will suppress our melatonin production. If we don't get enough sunlight, if we never see the sunset, the sunset helps us To trigger the production of melatonin. If we sleep in a room that has too much ambient light, like I sleep with a sleep mask, so I can make it really dark. But many times people don't sleep with a sleep mask and they have cracks in the window and there's lights outside, you know, from light posts or other people's homes. And so they get this ambient kind of light. Moonlight, by the way, doesn't have this effect. Isn't that amazing? So if you're sleeping outside under moonlight, that the, the particular colors of the moon from the light, it doesn't suppress our melatonin. Huh. It's it's amazing, you know. It's our artificially created light that has this effect. That's why I say use red lights if you have to have um, a light at night and make it motion sensor so your night light is red light which doesn't suppress the melatonin so much so lack of adequate melatonin with the ovary with the beautiful rhythms of our bodies is also impacting fertility sometimes just getting women to eat at the right time that's the other thing we're eating at the wrong times and that creates another whole set of metabolic dysfunctions and then not sleeping enough or sleeping at the wrong time and then when we have our guts, our microbiome in our guts are all messed up. So it's so complex because that when you have the wrong microbes living in the gut and you have impaired barrier function, which is now epidemic and also caused by endocrine disruptors and other toxic chemicals. That is is they're Like also ubiquitous in our food. Like what are we eating? These chemicals are killing our good microbes and it's, Like not just glyphosate, it's the other inert ingredients that are in the Roundup and similars, and the pesticides that they put on our foods, and then we eat them, and you know the other you know emulsifiers and artificial sweeteners and artificial flavors. Remember I mentioned artificial scents. Well, we have artificial flavors. And who thought that it was a good idea to put chemicals in our food to taste like charbroiled? I mean, it's, it's so crazy, it's hard to even fathom how this could be even allowed. But these chemicals destroy our gut microbes. And then we have impaired gut barrier function, and the other microbes take their place, which can be actually toxic, and they can produce what are called endotoxins that can actually leak into our body, creating a chronic state of inflammation. And when you have chronic inflammation, you can actually create inflammation in the ovaries, and in the testicles of men, and inflammation drives down testosterone production and impairs ovulation and also impairs egg quality. So that even when you ovulate, the egg itself has been damaged by this chronic state of inflammation. So you can see why infertility is just skyrocketing with crazy diets and chemicals, circadian rhythm dysfunction, sleep problems, chronic stress. I know it sounds overwhelming and it can be overwhelming. That's why, you know, you have to formulate a step-by-step program to try to deal with the reality that we all live with.
0: Yeah. I mean, and there's stress as well. Stress plays a huge role in suppressing egg release in women, so sorry, a lot of women get pregnant on vacation. But if you're stressed out, and there's all these stressors, we don't we're not aware of, like all the EMF from our computers and Wi-Fi, and it's getting worse mm-hmm. with five G, Just going to really be jackhammering our bodies. And this stressor will prevent egg release. Can you talk about that?
1: Well, stress will impair the the whole axis that involves the hypothalamus and the the gonad. In this case, we'll talk about the ovaries, the pituitary gland, um, and the adrenal. So that's that whole axis between you know, the hypothalamic, adrenal, pituitary, gonadal axis. And this is you know, beautifully interwoven. And nature doesn't want to have unhealthy people having babies. It's sort of counterproductive because if that person is not adequately um, nutritionalized, if they're not going to be able to nurture that baby because they're fighting off some you know, invaders because they're so stressed. And stress, there's only one stress response in the body. And it really was originally evolved to deal with famine. Okay, So the biggest threat to survival, if you go way back thousands and thousands of years ago, really was famine. So when you have a stress response, it's the same, whether it's because you really are having problems with your mother-in-law, your boss, you know, you have a dog that wakes you up all night because it has bladder problems. I've seen it all, you know, and, and so you have all this stress in your life, you know, you, you know, you know, you don't like your political candidate isn't getting elected. You know, there's so many things that are stressing everybody out. So, when you have that stress, it's the same response as if you don't have food. It's the famine, it's the same response. So what happens? Your body is going to start making a lot of cortisol. Now, why on earth would your body make a lot of cortisol? Because cortisol makes you insulin-resistant. That way, you're not getting the, the sugar is going to build up in the blood, and why would that be a good thing? It's because it's going to feed the brain. And the muscles, because if you are going into a famine, you want your brain, because remember it's like prioritize. So you want your brain to get the glucose first. And the brain does not rely as much on insulin to the same degree as, like, say your stomach or your liver. So you're going to get more insulin resistant. And what else does insulin do? Insulin is going to increase your ability to maintain your fat. So you're going to actually slow your breakdown of your fat. So we want to store fat. So it's all about survival. Also, when you have high cortisol, you know, acutely, it makes you more alert and it suppresses somewhat inflammation. So if you're fighting, if you're running, you're not going to feel pain. That's why they do injections. Although long-term it's very bad because it actually causes breakdown of tissue. But short-term cortisol, will reduce the pain response, reduce the inflammatory response, will, you know, increase insulin resistance and make you hold on to your fat more and store your fat because you need that fat because you never know how long this famine may last, you know, because that's what it's all it's all about. And it's going to make you sleep a little bit less. It's going to give you more energy to stay awake more because you may have to forage longer for food and have more energy for that. So it's all about survival. It was never meant to be long-term and chronic. So now when you take this life-saving acute response and you turn it into a long-term chronic response, it turns everything on its head because now you're going to be chronically insulin resistant. You're going to hold on to your fat. You can't lose weight. You can't sleep. You don't make melatonin and you're going to get diabetes. In the short term, it's sort of anti-inflammation, but in the long haul, it causes catabolism, tissue breakdown. So then your body starts to break down and you start losing your lean body mass because that's what would happen long-term if you were in a long-term famine. Eventually, you have to start breaking down you know, your bone and your muscles, but that's going to start happening to you. And you've probably seen people like this, and you've maybe wondered, like, <clears throat> how did they get that body shape? It's so strange. They'll have <clears throat> skinny arms and legs and big fat middles. Like they're, like they're like a big circle with little sticks coming out for arms and legs. So they have all this visceral fat, all this belly fat, because they have really high cortisol, but their body is breaking down their peripheral muscles and their extremities and their bones, and they'll have osteoporosis, and they'll have diabetes and cardiovascular disease, and they always have gut problems. Because when you have chronic high cortisol from stress, you're going to get leaky gut, and you're going to change the microbes of your gut, because it was not designed for this long-term process. So then you're going to have chronic inflammation. Now, chronic inflammation breeds even more trouble because that will cause even more insulin resistance. So now you're going to really be in full-blown diabetes. And when you're full-blown diabetes, that is heavily linked to heart attacks and strokes and vascular problems. So you can see how chronic stress can change everything. There was an amazing study that was done a couple of years ago, and it was done in England. And they took people who had single coronary artery vessel stenosis. That was very severe stenosis, but it was just one single vessel. And they actually got this study subjects to agree that they would have a procedure, an angiogram, and then half of them would have a balloon angioplasty. That's where you put a balloon in that vessel, that's stenosis, that's stenotic, and you blow it up. Now, they don't do that long term anymore because sometimes over the course of a year or two years or three years, the vessel will constrict back. So now they put in stents. But a balloon angioplasty will last for many, many months or maybe even years. So they just did the balloon angioplasty in half. And the other half, they did everything, but then they never blew up the balloon. So they call it a placebo. It wasn't a sham procedure. It was a placebo procedure. And everyone knew that after it was all over, they would go back and they'd actually redo it and put in the stent. But they agreed to this. So they all felt very important and they mattered because they were doing this very important study to compare the difference between the placebo surgery and the real surgery, with, which included the angioplasty with the balloon angi- angioplasty. And what they found at the end of the study is that both groups had improved blood flow to their heart. And this difference between the two groups was not statistically significant. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And what they labeled it, they called it the love effect. They, I, which, and then the researchers actually labeled it the love effect that the, the people in the study felt so attended to, so important, so loved. They had phone calls like every couple of days to check on them. How are you doing? They'd never gotten so much attention. They felt so important that just feeling loved can improve blood flow to the heart. So what does that tell you about the effect of stress? Or, on the other hand, the effect of dealing with stress, of incorporating the love effect, of having people feel calm and happy and and optimistic about their future and appreciated. So we should never underestimate the effect of calming that stress response. Because that's really what was happening. They were taking that stress response in those people and they were just calming it down. And their heart had increased blood flow because it reduced constriction of the vessels. It reduced inflammation in the vessels. And that, of course, if we think about that, that can affect and improve fertility. They have talked about it that people go on vacation, couples, and then they get pregnant on vacation. That is not a wives' tale. That is actually a truth. That if you lower stress in a fertility tr- troubled couple, an infertility couple, and you give them hope, and you give them love, and you um, reduce their stress, their, their chances of conceiving are significantly increased. They'll improve blood flow to the testes, to the ovaries. They'll lower inflammation. They'll heal, help heal their gut. So this is not um, fluff. This is not like voodoo or anything. This is real science, real, real science. So, I mean, stress is huge. Stress allows our immune system to function optimally um, when it's reduced. Well no stress. A stress reduction program is dramatically beneficial.
0: Now, let's talk about PCOS. So, so this is on the rise, and so Huge. let's talk about that. What, what is that exactly, and what contributes? For what toxins contribute to this condition? Sure.
1: So probably any endocrine disruptor can contribute if it interferes with estrogen, as I mentioned. Bisphenol A is just the one that's had the, by far the most research. So what's going on in women with PCOS? Well, the name PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, comes from the fact that the, the vast majority of women with this condition, if their ovaries are looked at with ultrasound, they have a, like a little rim of tiny little cysts all around the rim of the ovary, sort of like they call it like a, a ring of pearls. Now what they are are there follicles that have been in the process of developing that never actually got to the full stage of development where they would ovulate. So every month in the menstrual cycle, there is a hormone that has a very weird name called anti-Mullerian hormone. Now this name has no sound of any sort of thing that has to do with what it's doing in the ovary. That is because during the embryologic times, that particular hormone had an effect on causing regression of certain structures in the embryo. I wish they would change the name to follicle recruiting hormone because that's what it's doing in the ovary. And it's so confusing when you hear the name anti-mullerian hormone, because that doesn't sound like it means anything to what is that doing? So forget that name. Think of it as follicle recruiting hormone. And what it does is every month after the menstrual cycle has You know, the period has happened and you're starting a new cycle fresh. So you need to start recruiting the little follicles. Now, a miracle happens in the mid-cycle when one, occasionally two, and that's how you get twins, but um, that's one way of getting twins, that um, the special follicle, I call it the special chosen one, and we don't know how that special one is chosen but among all the little recruited follicles that one is chosen to proceed to ovulate and that's the egg that can turn into the baby now with women with pcos there's a problem because the mechanism to shut down the recruitment to like lower anti-müllerian hormone and shut down that c- recruitment of the follicles uh, doesn't happen properly so what the mechanism of that is an increase in the hormone that comes from the pituitary gland called FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. So that's going to stimulate a follicle to develop and then ovulate, okay, when you get a spike of of LH and estrogen. But you first need to have that FSH spiking. That's not happening properly in women with PCOS. And what happens when, when you have the spiking of the FSH, the rising of the FSH, FSH controls a hormone, uh, rather an enzyme called aromatase. Now this enzyme aromatase converts testosterone into estradiol because you need to have that spike of estrogen that triggers the ovulation. So what's happening in women with PCOS is that they don't have proper functioning of the enzyme aromatase. They don't get the proper elevation of FSH So they never get that spike of estrogen. Estradiol spike never happens. So they don't ovulate. So the trigger to shut down anti-mullerian hormone doesn't happen. So anti-mullerian hormone stays high, and it keeps recruiting more follicles. So it keeps making more follicles. more. So you just have this like, it's like sort of like um, the joke in the old Lucille Ball show where they kept having candies coming down the conveyor belt and like nothing would stop them. So that's sort of what's happening. And when with PCOS, they keep recruiting more follicles, more follicles and none of them are turned into the special one to ovulate because you don't have the proper aromatase and FSH. So you just keep accumulating follicles, but they don't ovulate. And so you get this crazy looking ovary with all these follicles lining up. And if you measure, you find high levels of this this hormone, anti-mullerian hormone. And so if we look at that's where the, the name and the sort of structure of the ovary, and that's what's happening. That's what the, they're not ovulating. Now, why is this happening? It really thing, it seems that it has to do with endocrine disruptors, that the estrogen receptors are not functioning properly. And this has been shown. There's now been data, the studies have been shown that the estrogen receptors are malfunctioning. And so you're not getting the proper feedback system because you need to have the feedback system in the hypothalamus with the hormones to trigger the proper production of FSH. So you're, and you also probably have some interrupters in the FSH itself. So it's really complex. And also melatonin, they're finding melatonin receptors may not be properly functioning. And melatonin is critical as an antioxidant and also as a hormone that's involved in ovulation. So there's a lot of things that we're just really getting to the tip of the, you know, the, like I guess should say say the surface of understanding, um, and we only know the tip of the iceberg of what's really going on in women with PCOS, but we know there are definite endocrine disruptors affecting hormone function, and the most research has been on estrogen, but there also seems to be problems with FSH and also with melatonin and probably others as well. So you're not going to get the proper feedback and you're not getting ovulation. So what happens when you make estrogen is it all comes from testosterone. So you you have no problem in women with PCOS in making testosterone, the precursor of estradiol. So the hormone that triggers the production of testosterone is luteinizing hormone. LH is what it's called. And that comes from the pituitary gland. So The brain says, I need more estrogen because it knows it's like there's not enough estrogen being produced. The ovary is not making enough estrogen. PCOS is a condition of estrogen deficiency. A lot of people think somehow the ovaries are making too much. It is making too little. So you have estrogen deficiency and the brain says, I want more. So it's triggering the production of more and more LH, luteinizing hormone. So the ovary can respond perfectly to LH. So it's making more and more testosterone. And that's why women with PCOS tend to have very high levels of testosterone. But the testosterone doesn't properly get converted into estradiol. So they have high testosterone, and then they have a block in the assembly line. It's not going down. It's blocked. block. It's backing up with testosterone, not enough estradiol. So that creates massive problems for women who have PCOS because you have too much testosterone. So too much testosterone is going to cause facial hair, hirsutism in a lot of them. Androgenic alopecia, just like male pattern baldness in women, chronic cystic acne that's recalcitrant, it doesn't respond well to any type of treatment. Now, it even gets more complex because this whole situation of having improper hormones causes gut problems. Now, this has been proven. They have dysbiotic gut microbiome. That means they have the wrong microbes living in their gut. So when you have the wrong microbes living in your gut, then you get impaired gut barrier function and you get the endotoxins that we talked about. So we now know that women with PCOS are producing more toxins from their gut. Now, the immune system requires proper estrogen to function properly. So now it's been shown as well that the immune system of women with PCOS will trigger inflammatory cytokine production. That's these inflammatory little particles that go around the body and create havoc when it's chronic and even go into the brain and create brain or neuroinflammation. So women with PCOS have a lower threshold to the stimulation of the production of inflammatory cytokines by their immune cells, which line the gut. 70% of the immune system lines the intestinal tract. So you have this chronic chronic outpouring, or leaking at the very least, of endotoxins, the immune system being upregulated, producing all these inflammatory cytokines which circulate throughout the body, creating systemic inflammation. Systemic inflammation, causes insulin resistance. So women with PCOS have high rates of insulin resistance and by age 40, women with PCOS have four times the incidence of diabetes as non PCOS women. So and then when you start having more and more inflammation, then you start having more breakdown of you know, blood vessels are not working properly. You have lower production of a gas called nitric oxide, which keeps arteries healthy and brains healthy. So that's why PCOS, as I said, is the poster child of showing how metabolic dysfunction and reproductive dysfunction are intertwined so intimately and how the body is one. And when you have this impairment of the reproductive functions, you have impairment of virtually every metabolic function because it's all completely linked. And how hormones are, especially estrogen, is like the binder that binds the reproductive and the metabolic together. And when you don't have proper estrogen receptor function anywhere in the body, on the immune cells in the gut, you know, and uh, on, in the ovaries and uh, in the brain and all these places, and you have this terrible problem with reproduction, you also have this, these terrible problems with metabolic health. And when women with PCOS do get pregnant, and it's the number one cause of infertility now, and it's a massive epidemic worldwide because we have endocrine disruptors everywhere, so, And of course, our what we call standard American diet is really a big contributor as well for causing gut problems. So it's all intertwined. These are all like a multitude of problems. But when you, when you have this chronic state of inflammation and you have um, the systems of the body breaking down and you have increase in neuroinflammation, women with PCOS have higher rates of anxiety and depression. And when they do get pregnant, they tend to have very high rates of pregnancy-related complications like gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, pregnancy-induced hypertension, preterm labor, oversized babies, what we call macrosomic babies, and growth-restricted babies as well because of poor placental function. So it's a very complex condition, but it really just hones in on this incredible link between reproduction and metabolic function.
0: Is there hope for PCOS? Like how are you oh, yes. recommending people go about reversing and improving this condition?
1: Well, because we now know that estrogen is the master of just about everything. I call it the master of metabolic homeostasis. It's also the master of the master clock in the brain that sits on top of the optic nerve, which can sense light and dark and sends the signals directly to the master clock. So the master clock is like the conductor of the orchestra of the body of all the organs. So women with PCOS essentially live a life of jet lag. So it's like, you're just jumping across time zones and there's been so many, much data now of people who um, either have social jet lag. In other words, they stay up really late at night. They eat in the middle of the night. So they're living like they're in another time zone, but it's like varying From day to day, or they're literally crossing time zones all the time, and their bodies don't know what time it is anymore. They have very high rates of infertility, depression, anxiety, cancers, diabetes, obesity. So, women with PCOS essentially are living a life of jet lag. So, what can we do? Well, we have these backdoor ways of getting things back on track with timing, and that is time restricted eating. So, if you eat, at the same time every day, and you focus in on early in the day. It turns out that our bodies were designed evolutionarily to to do best eating in the first part of the day. Our bodies are more insulin sensitive. So I said, women with PCOS are insulin resistance, are more prone to diabetes. Well, if you eat in the first half of the day, your body, even then, even with PCOS, is more sensitive to sugar. It gets it out of the bloodstream the insulin works better so it pulls that sugar out of the bloodstream into the cells where where it's ne- needed to create energy and the insulin levels don't rise so much high insulin is very inflammatory and it promotes Fat storage and fat production, and 80% of women with PCOS have serious weight problems. And that's because of they have high insulin all the time. So you can control that. They had a study in Israel of women with PCOS where they had them eat two-thirds of their calories for breakfast and one-third for lunch and like one bite for dinner. They almost like didn't have any dinner. And this was a study. And in one month, Their insulin and testosterone levels fell by 50%, Hmm. and 17-hydroxyprogesterone, which is a precursor to cortisol, fell by almost 40%. That means the cortisol levels are dropping, stress is dropping, they're more insulin-sensitive, their testosterone is coming down. It turns out that insulin also drives the production of testosterone. So nothing is simple, right? So you can get rid of that extra stimulus to producing testosterone by getting that insulin level down. So, the, so you want to eat most of your calories for breakfast and then have a small late lunch. And if you have to eat dinner, then try to make it just a little bit of fat, like a little piece of avocado or some macadamia nuts or some olives, and then a big mug of herbal tea or green tea, which is great with those You know, catechins or great antioxidants. And if you really can't do that, then have a big breakfast, have a very minimal lunch, like just exactly what I said for dinner, a little bit of olives or a few fatty nuts, pecans, or macadamias, a little bit of avocado, or I use what's called the fast bar that was made by the company that created the fasting mimicking diet, which I use a lot. And that's a bar that's basically not going to have much impact, very nominal impact on your blood sugar and insulin, because you want to keep that down. Remember, you've got to keep that insulin and blood sugar at a normal low level, and then have an early moderate dinner. That way, you know, it's more social, you know. But try not to eat after seven ever. And the other thing is you need a fast 13 hours or more, but 13 hours is like the, the sweet spot from dinner to breakfast. Now, not dinner to lunch, because if you skip, a lot of people are fasting through the first half of the day thinking, this is great. They don't know, that is really bad. Now it's especially bad for women with PCOS. It's bad for everyone, but especially for women with PCOS because they are insulin resistant. And so they really need to put their food into the window when they're most insulin sensitive, which is the early part of the day. That's gonna be dramatic for them. Um, the other thing is to work on sleep because women with PCOS often have sleep problems. So I recommend sleep masks. I use melatonin. I tell them to watch the sunset, the colors of the sunset, the oranges and yellows and reds. They actually drop the, the cortisol and trigger you know, an increase in, in melatonin production. So just doing that and then exercising at the right time of day. If you want to lose weight, you're best off exercising in the early part of the day. And if you exercise on a fast in the morning, if you can exercise first thing in the morning while you're still fasting and then eat breakfast after that, that is most productive of weight loss. So that would be optimal type of thing. Definitely work on stress Stress is just pervasive among women with PCOS, so definitely work on stress. And then there's so many things we can do to help with skin. I I do um, these wonderful acne peels, just dramatic for helping, and then healing the gut because acne, of course, is a manifestation of inside inflammation. So by eating a plant-based diet, I recommend going vegan, for about six months, not for life, and then adding in like three ounces of animal a day, very nominal amount of animal. I try for six months to eat like nine cups of vegetables a day, all the colors of the rainbow, and then a couple of fruit. And it's okay to eat whole grains, nuts and seeds. They just can't be processed. They should all be organic. And if you eat most of your food in the morning when you're so insulin sensitive, it's, it's actually fantastic. The worst thing about a lot of people who are overweight is they starve themselves and they're actually severely nutrient deficient. They're really malnourished and you can be very overweight and be very malnourished and you can't run the fat burning machinery of your body. You can't burn any, you can't run any of the machinery in your body if you're nutrient deplete, you know, you have to, you have to have B12 and riboflavin and zinc and magnesium, but you can't, you can't burn fat. You have to have these nutrients. So I tell patients, never think about weight. It, you know That will come off. Think about health because we've got to feed you so that you can be nutritionally you know, healthy. And by feeding you in the morning, you will lose weight. I have patients that have lost 60 pounds over the course of a year. Now, this is not like, I'm not talking about like starvation Because you're actually eating plenty of food. It's not just what you eat, it's when you eat. But it also is what you eat, right? So it's all whole foods, natural foods, no chemicals, no processed foods, lots and lots of vegetables, and tremendous amounts of fiber. Because fiber is the food of your little microbes. We have starved them, poisoned them. You know, we've tortured those poor little critters. And now we must nurture them. And so a high fiber, I, there's so much data on resistant starch. That resistant starch, it actually improves our ability to detoxify xenoestrogens. So xenobiotics, all these chemicals in our body are better metabolized and eliminated when you have all this fiber, this resistant starch, like cold potatoes, poor potatoes. I have to defend the defenseless. Cold organic (laughs) potatoes are resistant starch. It won't turn into sugar. It's pure food for your little microbial population in there. And you you also have to stop eating at night. It's so important to stop. If you eat at night, you're going to increase your dysfunction of your endocannabinoid system. That's like for another day because the endocannabinoid system is dysregulated in people with metabolic syndrome, which is so prevalent in women with PCOS. So you've got to get your endocannabinoid system on track. And by the way, if you're smoking marijuana, please stop. (laughs) Okay. That is not a fertility drug. Trust me. That's another (laughs) lecture for another day. Um, But by, Timed eating by having a whole foods diet, lots of plants. Because plants are not just fiber, but they have a lot of fiber. They have these amazing polyphenols. They're like these magical ingredients, like quercetin and resveratrol, and you know lutein. It's like they're amazing, and they actually do dances like with the microbes. Like there are polyphenols that actually dance with microbes that make the microbes healthier and actually get to our body and circulate and work on our own receptors so you have to eat lots of plants color the rainbow lots of fiber whole grains you know just don't I mean, don't eat moldy grains of course but you know you eat organic whole grains and you try to push as much of your food into the morning stop snacking do not snack I repeat, do not snack because you've got to have times when you're not eating to, because it's not just about the calories. It's about setting the clocks in your liver, okay? You've got, the the liver doesn't know if it's day or night. The liver can, you can set the clocks of the liver, the metabolic powerhouse of the body by timed eating. That means you have to stop snacking. So you should never eat more than three times a day. And you can even, as you get like advanced, go to two two times a day, but it's not and with most of the food in the morning, but it's not nutrient like um, deprivation. This is nutrient redistribution. Okay. So you're not starving at all. And in fact, when you eat a really big breakfast and you do this for about six weeks, you're going to have a complete downregulation of your appetite. You, It's like amazing that you will not have that. I'm famished. I'll die if I don't eat now. That will go away and you'll start revving up your ability to burn fat which a lot of people can't transition well from burning glucose to burning fat and creating the ketones that they need. So this will really help. It takes time. So everyone in the U.S. thinks that there's a quick fix for everything, but this does take time. And there's a lot of supplements that we talk about. Um, Myoinositol is a wonderful supplement. Quercetin, N-acetylcysteine, they, you know, almost everyone with PCOS is deficient in vitamin D. I think we're all deficient in vitamin D because none of us get enough sunlight, and there's something wrong with us. We don't convert it. By the way, in someone who has a chronic low-grade infection, they don't even utilize vitamin D properly. I mean, it's so complex what we've created in our world of you know barrier dysfunctions and chronic infections and so on. But um, most people need some additional vitamin D and magnesium. I always uh, like everyone has their favorites. My favorite mineral, I love them all, but is magnesium. It works on over 700 reactions in the body. If you don't have enough magnesium, you can't make serotonin. Your dopamine receptors don't work properly. You don't transport glucose properly. Your electrical transmissions are off. So you're going to have palpitations, tachycardia, you won't be able to sleep well. I mean, it's like so amazing, all the things that magnesium does. And most women with PCOS are deficient, as is almost everyone, deficient in magnesium. So there is so much we can do for women with PCOS. And it's not a death sentence. It's not a sterility problem. It's an infertility problem. And I almost I can't even think of anyone who was not able to get pregnant with PCOS after I've worked with them. Sometimes, like I said, it could take a year. You know, this is not a quick fix. But um, they they get pregnant. Most of them will start having normal regular cycles, which is such a sign of health reestablished, right, when you start having regular cycles. So it is, and their egg quality improves. That's a huge problem. Women with PCOS generally have poor success with IVF, because they have poor egg quality from that chronic inflammation. That's why it takes time to try to lower the inflammation and try to help rejuvenate those poor inflamed eggs, you know, try to help them to heal. So there's just so much we can do for women with PCOS. And then as a last resort, I will use bioidentical hormones. Now that requires me or like a doctor, an MD to do that because just like with diabetes, if you give enough insulin, you can override the receptor resistance, right? And then you can get the blood sugar to come down. If you give women who have resistant receptors to estrogen, if you give them estrogen, you can overcome some of that resistance. And there's data actually published not on women with PCOS, I'd love to get some studies here going, but on women with binge eating disorder, which many women with PCOS have eating disorders and binge eating disorder is like the the predominant one. And they've actually shown that if you give bioidentical estradiol to women with binge eating disorder, you can actually overcome it, resolve it. So it's like amazing, right? So that people, women blame themselves, like, I can't, help it, you know, but I, I feel like a failure, you know, when you have high blood
0: sugar, you're just constantly craving food. It's not that sugar's not going in the cell. Your body makes you eat to produce more insulin to get the sugar in the cell. It's, it's just biology always overcomes
1: willpower. It's not a guilt trip. It's not that you're inadequate as a person. It's that it's biology, you know, everything logically driven. You're absolutely right. And when you improve with estrogen, estrogen improves the glute transport function. So we have these transporters in the body called GLUT, G-L-U-T, the the glucose transporter system. They actually are dependent on estrogen. So if you don't have enough estrogen, whether you're in the menopause or you have PCOS or you're filled with endocrine disruptors that are essentially giving you the equivalent of having estrogen deficiency because you're filled with endocrine disruptors on your receptors, then by having bioidentical estrogen, you can overcome this and then you can actually have functional glute, re- glute transport and have the glucose uh, the, glu- the glucose get transported into cells and there's so many other things that are happening but that's just a very single big one right there. Yeah.
0: I'm dealing with that right now as well because I'm I'm heading into perimenopause and I am, you know, I haven't had a period in about 6 months and it was scattered before and and I'm finding I'm just I'm voraciously craving food all Absolutely. the time and I know that's just cuz my Estrogens coming down mm-hmm. and I'm starting to get a little bit of insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but I'm just craving sugar and carbs and food all the time. But so I just trying to take steps to deal with that. Um, but this is why a lot of women gain weight, um, you know, 10 or 15 pounds or more once they're hitting into the menopause, but it's, you know, yeah, it's, coming it is,
1: down. it's an epidemic and, Most of the time, as you're transitioning into menopause, the menopausal transition, you will develop altered gut microbiome population and uh, dysbiosis of the gut microbiome, which ends up causing the endotoxin, which causes chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation triggers insulin resistance and, and brain inflammation. So, and circadian rhythm dysfunction. So, I mean, because you get... Everything is it gets offbeat when you have chronic inflammation. So we always start with the gut, but then we have to work with everything, with stress. And I'm a big fan of hormones. I'm, I love hormones. I understand what they do. I I'm, I've always say people are afraid of the wrong things. <clears throat> They're afraid of having hormones. They should be afraid of not having hormones. It's like, people are just afraid of the wrong things. We have to, I don't want anyone to be afraid of anything. But if you're going to be worried about something, worry about losing your hormones, not receiving hormones, but they have to be the right hormones. They have to be human identical hormones, not the chemicals that they, and the horse related stuff that they used in the Women's Health Initiative from 20 years ago that has created rampant fear. <clears throat> so once we understand what hormones do, then we can understand what happens when we don't have them. And, and every woman has to go through menopause. You cannot escape it, it's inevitable. You may be able to delay it with more vegetables, but you're not gonna stop it. So we have to learn how to deal with this because a lot of women, half their lives are spent in menopause, but women have way more chronic diseases than men. They have higher rates of osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, um, dementia almost three times as much as men, They have more emotional problems, more anxiety and depression and sleep problems. After menopause, the incidence of sleep apnea doubles. The incidence of GERD, gastroesophageal reflex, goes through the roof, Um, colon cancer, breast cancer. These are related to loss of estrogen, not having estrogen.
0: Yeah, and that's why I'm such a... a big proponent now of HRT or hormone replacement therapy. When in the past, I wasn't thinking, oh, it's not natural. And, you know, what about the cancer risk? And, but there's, like you said, there's far more risk for, not tending to this and just trying to to tough it out. I mean, they're, it, everyone's different in their personal decisions about what they want to do with their body. But I, I'm definitely, you know, personally looking at going on hormone replacement therapy when I feel like the time is right because you do have a, a much better quality of life when you're, you know, looking at your hormones, monitoring them and getting them balanced.
1: Absolutely. And there are herbals that act as um estrogen receptor agonists. So they actually, you know, plants that actually, just like cannabis works on the endocannabinoid system, there are plants that are phytoestrogens that work on estrogen receptors and, and can be actually healthy and helpful during the transition years before someone is feels ready to go on actual hormone
0: yeah absolutely. and so let's talk about some of the beneficial steps that someone can take to remove the toxins that promote Pcos mm-hmm. and infertility.
1: Well, one is to to do some form of fasting. There's actually data restricted eating, which is type of a sort of a form of fasting time restricted eating so time restricted eating um, can be very beneficial. The other is actual Fasting, like every other day fasting, twice a week fasting, or what I tend to use the most is the fasting mimicking diet. Now, there's not data on every type of fasting, but in general, we do know that fasting does upregulate, particularly in the small intestine, the cytochrome P450 enzymes, which are Phase one of detoxification, often the forgotten phase of detoxification, and that's in the small intestine. And that is critical for detoxification, and those enzymes are upregulated by fasting. So, the other thing is, of course, to do a total survey of your home. You have to use organic products for cleaning, you have to eat organic foods. We have to, the first thing is to lower your toxic load from. What you're putting into your body. Okay, so we want to get out as much as we can of what you already have in your body, but we want to stop putting so much into your body. So we definitely want to look at using organic everything. I mean, we just it shouldn't be this way. I mean, uh, wasn't that long ago that nothing existed except organic? That nothing had a label; it just automatically was organic. What yeah. other option was <laughs> it? So now we have to actually pay, you know, three times the price, but it is. What it is, you know, and try to, you know, if you can have growers that you know, local farmers market, that's what I always recommend the most is to have a farmers market that and find the growers that you know so that's really locally produced and it hasn't been organic sitting in a warehouse for eight months either. That can happen too, you know, and some of the standards of organic are changing and you can do um, hydroponics where they're growing in water and they don't get the the same nutrients from the soil they put something in the water, it's not the same. So if possible, get old fashioned food from an old fashioned farm, that's not too far from you, if you can. Um, now, also in terms of food, um, soy, which is also a, a maligned food, poor soy, but if you have whole organic soy, that's actually a fertility food as well. So that, um, that is very important to, to put some soy into your diet. Um, now, exercise. So, exercise can also help with your detoxification pathways. So, we just people are sedentary so much of their lives. So, now I love saunas. Um, saunas are utilizing our sweating capabilities. So, detoxification involves our liver, that's the main one, but also breathing. So, I always recommend air purifiers, especially in the bedroom, a really high quality air purifier and now we have so much air pollution air pollution lowers fertility we need to understand that so a really high quality air purifier in the bedroom especially but everywhere in the house as much as possible um a water purifier because you cannot trust your you know you or your, your local water system you just can't look at what's been in the news and um, they they don't even test for jet fuel in most places so you and they the military dumps jet fuel into the ground and it gets into the groundwater and into the lakes and rivers it's so you really want to get a really good water purifier um reverse osmosis is okay but you have to as you lose your minerals so then you have to take minerals back and you know really great air purifier um you also um want to look at what if you can control it where you live if there's a community that you're living in that's using a lot of pesticides. Like where I am in Irvine, um, a lot of some activist women, I applaud them all the time. They actually got it to be passed in my city of Irvine that pesticides and herbicides cannot be used on school grassy areas. Oh, or that's common, amazing. Common, common that. areas like the community parks and such, they can't use herbicides and pesticides any longer. Like how great is that? So you have to be an activist as well, because, you know, you could do great in your own house, but then, you know, you go out and you want to play golf and you're playing on a golf course that's sprayed with atrazine, a really toxic pesticide, which is used commonly, you know, so, or you go to a place where they're spraying, you know, with not DDT, because that's illegal, but, you know, the next thing that's not so different with these pesticides is sprays. Try to buy everything organic. Um, in addition, if you can't do a sauna, like not everybody like has a far infrared sauna sitting around that they can just jump in, um, sweating. So you can sweat. It's cheap. Just go out and exercise, and you get the benefits of exercising and the benefits of sweating. But make sure you really um, wash your skin off really well within. 30 minutes. And if you can do a, like a loofah and do like, or skin brushing before you go into the sauna or before you do exercise and sweat, because that will even be better. And then wash really, really well. Make sure that your personal care products are organic. I don't use things with phthalates. In my office, I have organic aloe vera shampoo and conditioner. I love it. Well, I don't have the greatest hair, but I really love my shampoo and conditioner and it's all organic and natural and. natural um, You know, why would you put phthalates on your head? I mean, it's just everything gets... And then um, birth control pills do not help with detoxification. They alter the gut microbiome. They lower nitric oxide production. So I wish I had like the ultimate solution to people who don't want to get pregnant right now. But if you can use condoms, it's a lot safer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of amazing like, birth control options that don't no, affect No, I don't your have, hormone. I
1: don't, I wish if I did, I would share it with you. But if you can use condoms, it would be, it would be better for you. Yes.
0: Yes. Well, Dr. Felice, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was so informative, just so packed with information. I just, I love it so much. I know all the listeners are really going to get so much out of this. So wanting to the listeners where they can find you, learn more about you and tell us about your book.
1: Well, absolutely. Well, first I have, um a very traditional doctor. I actually have a practice. It's in Irvine, California. It's called the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine. That's in Southern California in Orange County. So I see patients all the time. This is one of my exam rooms that I, you know, I multipurposed it into my podcast room. Yeah. And um, so I have My Instagram. I have Facebook, but mostly I do Instagram, and that's dr. Period Felice Gersh, doctor. Period Felice Gersh. So I try to do interesting posts. My book is. I have two books now. So my first book is PCOS SOS, and that's like the foundation book that has like 500 references, and it really tells everything about PCOS, all the latest science, and then it has a seven-step program to helping you to reverse pretty much all of the PCOS problems. Then I have a new book out that just came out in January, 2020, which is called PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. Although it would, really, it would apply to virtually any woman who wants to get fertile, it has a sort of a special focus on PCOS. And it's a 12-week program, week by week for 12 weeks, saying exactly what you do to optimize your fertility really rapidly. So that would be like the perfect book for someone who like, I really want to get a baby soon. And I'm willing to like take 12 weeks out and really optimize my health and then move forward to get pregnant.
0: Fantastic. I love it. It's so important because I know just even some of my personal friends and just so many clients that have reproductive issues, PCOS, endometriosis, and, and other issues, and we all know they are linked heavily to toxins. Those are the underlying root causes to these health issues. And doctors are just, most doctors you go to are like, oh, we don't know what's causing it. Like, yeah, yeah, we do. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, you mentioned like endometriosis, that is heavily due to pesticides. Oh, yeah. That's a whole yeah. other conversation on that condition, which is 10% of women suffering yeah. with endometriosis. And the most research is dioxin, which is a very powerful mm. pesticide. And it creates, I talked about the estrogen receptor problems in women with PCOS. Women with endometriosis have progesterone receptor problems. Mm. And it's, so it's a, that's why giving progesterone doesn't really help them because their progesterone receptors are not working properly and it interrelates with the whole endocannabinoid system. Like once again, like maybe for another day, but endometriosis is also another heartbreaking condition that is very prevalent and very heavily related to infertility problems and life quality problems. It's yeah, and all- that's why that's why
0: I want to do this show because, you know, so many women are going to their doctors who are not taking their weekends or after hours to actually research the underlying root cause and, yeah. you know, ways to naturally reverse this stuff, which there's a lot, and are just getting told to have a hysterectomy. Or or having uh, painful surgeries that really don't address the underlying root cause, albeit necessary uh, for yeah. some women? You know, there's so much that we can do that women just aren't yeah. educated about.
1: And I emphasize over and over, we're so much better in natural medicine, dealing with early stage disease. I mean, we have to be realistic. If someone comes in to me with endometriosis and they have bilateral, huge chocolate cysts, endometriomas, you know, like 10-centimeter bilateral cysts filled with endometriosis and fluid, you know, the, the blood from the endometrial tissue, and they have adhesions and everything is stuck together. There's just so much I can do. I can relieve pain, but there's I'm very limited. But if I can get someone early, that's where we can shine. You know, everything is based on being proactive. And most of medicine today is very reactive. So they just say, wait, and we'll see what happens. We we don't do that. We say, we're going to intervene right now so that we can modify the future, not just stand by and let bad things happen to people.
0: Yeah and that's what I can't say enough on this podcast listen to your body and be proactive in seeking answers because the sooner you get answers the sooner you you can reverse a condition you know you don't want to wait until
1: Absolutely. Don't want to wait, don't want to and wait. And if you're married or have a significant other and you can possibly start your family earlier than later please do that. Because if there's one thing no one can do, it's make you younger chronologically and women are designed to have a finite reproductive lifespan so we, we just think that it's endless sometimes when we're younger but it is not and the quality of the eggs even when you do everything right is going to decline just like menopause is inevitable fertility is going to decline that is inevitable so as soon as possible, when life allows it, please try it. If you want to have a family, you want to have kids in your life, please try to do it earlier than later because I can't turn the clock back. I don't have that power ever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Dr. Gersh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, what is your website again?
1: Oh, it's integrativemgi.com. Fantastic. Well, thank
0: you so much for coming on the show and everyone go check out Dr. Gersh's website. Uh, It's fantastic information. Grab her book, whether you have PCOS or not, the same kind of principles will apply Mm -hmm. to improve your reproductive health. So thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for inviting me and good luck to everyone.
0: And everyone, thank you so much for listening every week to the Myers Detox podcast, where we unravel the underlying root causes of so many common conditions today to highlight the many underlying root causes, which are toxins, uh, endocrine disruptors, pesticides, insecticides, chemicals, heavy metals, you name it every health condition has toxins as one of their underlying root causes. You have to deal with this to address your health conditions. So thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you guys next week.